Welcome to 5 Things About. I'm Chris Hatzis. Today we look at 5 Things About Urban Green Spaces. In this episode, Kate Murray for the Network Society Institute is joined by Dr. Elham Nagazadi, School of Computing and Information Systems, now at the Department of Infrastructure and Engineering, and Kwan Hui Lim, School of Computing and Information Systems, who've been investigating what our tweets say about public spaces. We ask, how can social media be used to track sentiment and what implications this could have for public planning? How can turning city parks into living labs help uncover how urban design is affecting our moods? And how do green spaces like parks affect the health and happiness of city dwellers? It turns out 140 characters multiplied by millions of users can help savvy data analysts reveal all sorts of intriguing information on how we interact with and appreciate our urban environments. So let's start at the basics. What is the role of green spaces in today's city, especially with rapid urbanisation? I think basically the unique situation that we are at currently is that since 2008, we have half of the world's population living in urban spaces. It's kind of like a very unique phenomenon and it requires us to rethink what is the role of many things in the urban areas And specifically what we focused on was green spaces. I think in modern architecture or in modern urban sciences, people are talking about functionalities. And as far as I know, people used to take care of the beauty of parks. And it was always about aesthetics. But these days they're talking about adding roles to the green spaces. And people are thinking of it as corridors of getting to the wildlife, to vegetable gardens. And what we focused on was green spaces are potentially good for physical and mental fitness. So we focused on nature therapy. That's what was the initial motivation of starting this So we also think there's contrast between urbanization and preserving green spaces. And the key issue is as you urbanize a city, you build more and more buildings. And at the same time, you are reducing the number of green spaces there are. So what we are trying to do is we are trying to look at some of the benefits of these green spaces. There have been studies showing that green spaces have various benefits to improve the personal well-being of the people that are visiting these places as well as residing near them like increasing the amount of exercise, improving the life expectancy. So these are some of the research questions that we hope to answer in our study. How are you using social media to learn about the roles of these urban green spaces? Social media actually convey what people are thinking, could even convey the place where they are at, what they are feeling at the point of time. So it allows us to use it as a large-scale sensor to see how a city and its residents are actually feeling, what they are talking about, what are the events that are taking place. The only thing that needs to be added is that there has been studies to see how green spaces is helping people's feelings and if there is any connection. But it's been always kind of like in silos, very intrusive type of studies. People had to record their feelings constantly and they had to be totally mindful about it, which is kind of like makes it biased, uh, we can say. And I think our initial idea was to use Twitter data or social media in general, to make it large-scale, city-wide, not in a silo. 
in the sense that we don't ask people to be totally mindful and tell us about their feelings. So it's unobtrusive, large scale. So like the whole urbanization phenomena, this social media and the fact that we are able to mine such large scale data is again something unique that we have as an opportunity. We also want to come out with a way that we can conduct these studies and we can easily extend it to other cities. Like first of all, we start off with Melbourne, but what we really want is a research methodology that we can easily extend to look at other cities, say London, New York, and we could even examine other kind of research questions that are apart from green spaces. You're using mostly Twitter, right? How are you determining sentiments and emotions? How are you gathering this kind of data from Twitter? People actually convey a lot of these feelings in the words that they use. And there's been a lot of research in the psychology field that talks about words people use and whether those are positive or negative sentiments. The words also relate to different kinds of uh, emotions, such as anger, anticipation, disgust, fear, joy, sadness, and, and others. So what we do is we come up with an algorithm to look at the kind of words that people use in, in a, a tweet or a post and see what are the numbers of positive words, what are the number of negative words, and the length of the tweet itself. And that will give us an idea of the so-called degree of happiness, how happy or unhappy a certain tweet is. And we can similarly do the same for the individual emotions, the eight kind of emotions that we have, and see what are the emotions people are, are showing when they post a certain tweet. So we want to know what's the location of these tweets as well, because we wanted to relate it to the green spaces. We were able to geotag the tweets, and that's something that the users can allow. The, either the coordinates of the tweet would be uh, reported, or they can say, OK, I'm here in this park, or I'm here in this building, and then they would go on with their tweets. So it's basically something that they enabled when tweeting. And that's what we collected to be able to uh, relate the sentiments of those tweets to the location that is taking place. So you were mentioning earlier that the way these kind of studies were previously done was by people voluntarily being involved and choosing to share their sentimental data. And, th and that does create bias. With this one, I guess everybody is a part of this study in a way. Anyone who walks through a green space or through a concrete urban jungle space is inadvertently a part of it if they're tweeting. It seems like that's quite personal information in some ways, even though we're posting it on public forums. What kind of privacy issues are there around it? Is it anonymous, for example? It is anonymous and Twitter data is basically public information. And basically, if you don't quote someone exactly what has been said in a tweet, that would be enough in terms of the privacy. And what we are doing is we are assigning a number to the words. That's what all we are doing, basically. So we are not going through the text that people are saying, what exactly they're saying is if they're mentioning any personal identifiers, any name, anything like that. I understand your concern. I work on privacy and I know it is possible. But basically what we needed to do is beyond what would be personal. Just to mention your first comment about the unbiased study. Personally, I feel it's really great, but it's still biased in the sense that, for example, elderly won't use Twitter that much. We are cultivating whoever 
is there in Twitter, but people who are active in Twitter, that's, again, a biased population, basically. So we don't have the voice of everyone. We cannot claim it in that sense. But it is large scale and it helps to have a reduced bias. What are the trends that you found when looking at social media in urban green spaces? We found that in general, when people are visiting green spaces, they tend to use words that are more positive. So they are happier, they have more pleasant emotions, and they use less of negative words like angry, jealous, etc. And when we actually break down the words they use in specific emotions, we find that they use words that are more related to the emotions of joy, anticipation and trust, which are all positive emotions. And they use a lot less of words that are related to emotions like anger and fear, uh, whereas in urban areas, the use of these negative words are, are higher. When we look at the kind of tweets and where they are posted, we find that tweets that are posted near major transport structures like uh, highways, uh, train tracks, or large train stations, they are usually more negative compared to places that contain green spaces. And also, we find that there is the closer a person is to a green space, the more positive those tweets are. Just by being able to see a green space or being near to one, you're already feeling better emotions and happier on, on the whole. There was one other interesting aspect. It wasn't a part of the research necessarily, what we did was we took two heritage parks in Melbourne and two highly built up areas and we basically removed all the words which are common in both of them in the sense of both positive and negative feelings. So we put aside happy, great, nice, all these things that can be used for both spaces. And then when we removed those, what showed up was really interesting because, for example, positive feelings for urban areas, it was recommend, which you would think that people would look for restaurants, cafes, things that they need recommendation. But when it gets to the parks, it was celebration, joy, things like that. But on the other side, the negative ones were very interesting because the negative word for urban areas was cheap. But for parks, it was cold creepy, smelly. So you could see totally different uses of these two types of areas, which is very interesting. We haven't studied that deeply yet, but that's what we are going to do in the future. What for you was the most surprising or delightful thing that you've discovered in this work? Perhaps one surprising thing we found was that although green spaces have benefits, but the benefits are quite different at different time of the year. So during colder months, it is still more beneficial than urban areas, but the benefits are much less. And during very cold months, people actually prefer urban spaces. So that is what we found surprising. And one reason we thought it might be the case is during winter, you get a lot of uh, leaves that are falling. So instead of having a very nice scenery, you get a barren and a messy place where you have fallen leaves all over, twigs all over the ground. Compared to during summer where you get green leaves and flowers blooming over the park. Again, if I want to talk about the two heritage parks that we focused, as I said, it was about cold, about smelly and about creepy, which would be more characteristics of the cold weather. So I think that somehow backs up what Kwan is saying, that the mood 
mood elevation, we would see it more in warm weather when we have longer days because I think, I mean, the creepy aspect especially is about the security of parks at night, which I think there, there is not that much of a good reputation for that. It's fascinating. Yeah. How can this information be used? What's the application of finding out how we react differently in urban green spaces as opposed to non-green spaces? If we get to the point that we validate this hypothesis that, yes, green spaces are improving your mental health, uh, are having a positive effect, I think for us the next phase would be how they're doing it or why they're doing it and then trying to build up those strengths. And on top of that, there is a increased focus on the functionality of spaces in urban areas. So it would help us to know what's the unique characteristic of each park or each even urban area, and then trying to build up some strategies to either strengthen it or to kind of like try to address what is bringing that bad reputation potentially. So I think that would be the usage of what we are doing here. And also I think there are some implications for urban planners or city planners. And the idea is that we can see there are some benefits to green spaces. So we can identify areas where there are low amount of green spaces. And probably city planners can aim to have a small park or try to increase the number of trees in that area. And one further study we hope to do is that not all parks are actually equal. Parks can have different kind of flowers, different kind of trees and greeners. So we want to see what are the kind of trees that are more beneficial to people's uh, well-being and emotion levels. And also on the other spectrum, there are also implications for healthcare professions. So instead of uh, prescribing medicines and all that, they could encourage people to go to the park to take up a more healthy lifestyle, to get into a more relaxed mood as sort of a stress buster. So I think these are possible options that can be taken up by both the city planners and healthcare professions. I was encouraged to go to a park once oh, to go to the park. GP told me, <laughs> oh, <okay. laughs> go and kick the leaves. That's what oh, he said okay. to me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, this has been a really fascinating look at urban green spaces. Thank you so much, Kwan and Elham. This has been a real joy. You're welcome. Thank you for having oh. us. Yeah, thanks a lot, Kate, for having us here. That was five things about urban green spaces. Thanks to Dr. Elham Nagazadi and Kwan Hui Lim for sharing their projects. We look forward to being able to perhaps actively influence the shape of our cities one tweet at a time. Your host was Kate Murray. Audio engineering by Gavin Neighbour. Editing by Arch Cuthbertson, Kate Murray and Claudia Hooper. Five Things About is a University of Melbourne co-production created by Dr. Andy Horvath. Hungry for more? Nip over to our big sister podcast, Eavesdrop on Experts. I'm Chris Hatzis. Join us next time for another episode of Five Things About.